In the 1990s, America was in a hailstorm of media frenzies left and right. Daytime talk shows were at their ultimate trash high, and America was eating it up. However, we are here today to tell you a case in which trash TV may have gone way too far. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Now, I just want to start this episode off with a disclaimer. This episode includes violence against someone who is a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and as we will obviously do our best to tell his story as we do all stories, it may be triggering to hear certain parts of it. So the beginning of our story, um, let's just start with Scott Amador is kind of the focus of our story today. Um, He was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to his father, Frank Amador, who was a local tractor trailer driver, and his mother, Patricia Amador, who was a stay-at-home mom. In 1968, the family moved to Waterford, Michigan, and two years later, unfortunately, Frank and Patricia divorced. That's not easy. I know, right? Like, I feel like people graze over divorce because it's so common nowadays, but back then it really wasn't, first of all. In 1968, like, divorce was not at the all-time high that is at now. Yeah. And also, on top of that, like, just because it happens so much doesn't make it any easier on the kids, of course. Yeah, that shit is traumatizing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm speaking, though, not out of experience. Right. I've never but gone through like... that, of course, but I can... You know, I've had friends that have dealt with it, and it's so hard. So, yeah, okay, off my soapbox, but yeah, it's hard. <laughs> After his parents divorced, he did live primarily with his father, as did his three brothers and his one sister. When he was 17, he actually quit high school to join the Army, where he finished his GED high school equivalency and was trained in satellite communications. So, based on that, I know he must be driven and, you know, like, a hard worker because being in the Army and finishing your GED is, like, no small feat, you know? 17? Yeah, like, I... Just, that's really cool. So, anyway, while assigned to Germany, he learned to ski... And he actually broke his leg while skiing in Switzerland, which I just thought, I don't know. I just, (laughs) it's interesting that, like, he's in the army, like, and still just, like, picking up these hobbies. And, like, he's just someone who loved. Right, like, I'm like, whoa, 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 overachiever much. Like, he's just someone that loves to learn, loves to try new things. He's very cool. After three years, he received an honorable discharge with the rank of specialist. After working several years in technical communications and telephone-type jobs, he became a bartender because he enjoyed working at night, he loved nightlife, and he was just like a people's person. I'm, yeah, I'm getting that feel of him. Right. Even so much so that, you know, he was like the friend that people relied on, and he even took in like several of his friends who actually had AIDS. And just kind of cared for them when, like, society really was, like, shunning them and treating them very poorly at the time. I, I, I mean, still, imagine. nobody yeah. is treated perfectly for that. So, you know, I just think it's notable, it's worth saying, because he really just goes above and beyond for human beings. All that being said, unfortunately, Scott met a very gruesome fate one night at the hands of someone he considered a friend. I think I just got a man. Okay, calm down, okay? 
Okay, why did you do that? The voice you are hearing on the other end of the 911 call is Jonathan Schmitz, who is a friend of, or was a friend of Scott's. And actually, Jonathan and Scott and another friend, the three of them actually took a plane together to go on to the Jenny Jones show and to like appear on the show. Okay, what's the show? The Jenny Jones Show was a daytime tabloid talk show that ran for 12 years between 1991 and 2003. Now, it was like the ultimate trash TV show. Um, Actually, it didn't start that way, um, but low ratings in the early seasons made the show kind of like pivot, pivot toward this like really exploitative and like just like grotesque show. Basically, I mean, you could compare it to like Jerry Springer and Mari Povich because it was just kind of one of those shows that like put people on blast. For example, Jenny Jones would bring in a woman who like slept with a married man and bring in the wife too and like would encourage the people to like all just like confront each other in front of like a live studio audience and like she'd surprise a couple with like paternity tests on the air or like have like spouses reveal that they like had an affair and stuff like it's just, like, all just really gross, like, craziness. But, you know, America loves watching stuff Eat like that. Eat it up with a spoon and a knife and a fork. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, like, I obviously don't condone embarrassing people on air. But, you know, it's for um, the, like, thrill factor. And, like, yeah. just, like, that's what the show is. They embarrass people. People know that that's the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? No one's going on the Jenny Jones show thinking they're going to, like, improve their reputation. Yeah. Or at least no one with a brain. <laughs> right. I mean, you kind of know what the deal is. I mean, even Jerry Springer now, like, the people who come on, they know what's Yeah, and, happen. like, those people are just, like, caricatures. You know what I mean? Like, they're not even, like, really... I don't even know if anything is truly authentic on that show because they know what they're getting into and they love to, like, get their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. You know? So anyway, Jonathan and Scott met through this woman, Donna Riley. The three of them took a plane together to appear on the Jenny Jones show, like I said. And this was under the pretenses that someone, male or female, was going to proclaim their feelings for Jonathan on the air. Supposedly, he was under the impression that it would be Donna. Okay. But the producers of the show do maintain that they said someone, male or female. And like, listen, my dude, you know this show. I mean, literally, one of the commercials for the show is Jenny Jones going, if you have a secret crush that you'd like to reveal to a same-sex friend, call this number. Okay. So it's like, so, I'm sorry. You knew what you were getting into. Yeah. Jenny Jones isn't going to bring you on this show and have some vanilla romance come out of a man <laughs> and a woman. Like, boring. Yeah. Boring. Je- if Jenny's <laughs> doing one thing, she's making, like, headlines. Because, right. like, I she doubt wants- any other TV show at this time is doing something like this. Like, that's why people were so crazed about it. Well, yeah. It's just the shock factor the like oh my god people are talking about something that's like quote taboo like it's just that's what it is and so jonathan scott and donna they're all three like good pals so i don't know how close they are depending on the different materials you see they'll say like acquaintance or they'll say friends so i don't want to like go out of my way to be like they were so close but like they were on the same flight so they were at least (laughs) friends enough right yeah Like, like i could put two and two together that tells me that they were, like, co- yeah. like coordinating flight plans. That's f- your friends, you know? I'm not coordinating yeah. fr- flight plans with someone I don't know that well. Right. We haven't to this day, so. Yeah, yeah. right. You and I don't yeah. coordinate. No. 
We also don't really fly that yeah, much. Yeah, at all. <laughs> we don't get out much. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's a show with a lot of flaws. Everyone that will talk about it is totally okay with admitting that. Nobody's saying it's a great show. But, like I said, I think you would be a fool to not know what you're getting into when you get onto that show. Yeah, like, if I were to go on Ellen, I know my ass is getting scared on sight. Right, like, it, like I'm it'd looking be around like every Ellen corner. not scaring you when you're in the dressing room. Okay, so to do justice to this entire story, I think we need to talk about what exactly happened on the Jenny Jones show that day. So this is March 6th. 1995, and this episode actually never ended up being broadcasted because really? of the stuff that ensues from it. So, oh, Jenny Jones has Donna and Scott sitting on the couch in the studio. You know, the whole audience is looking at them and they're speaking with Jenny Jones. And she's like, He knows you're gay, right? To Scott about John. And Scott says, do you think he is? And Scott's like, no, but anything is possible. And then Jenny Jones says, do you have a reason to think that he is Donna? And Donna's like, uh, not really. He says that his family kind of questioned him on it. And then Jenny Jones is like eating this shit up now. Oh, of course. So she's like, what is it about him that's so exciting to you? And I'm like, Jenny girl, oh my gosh, she's getting her rocks off right now. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it. And honestly, you can go on YouTube you can watch it. Netflix has a good special on this called, like, uh, Trial by Media. And, you know, you can see they do show the broadcast itself. And it's, I think it's so important. I know that we're obviously just, like, an auditory thing. But, like, it's important to watch everybody's, like, body language. I mean, visually, you're gonna see a lot more of how right. it was, like, Like, I can say all it. day until I'm blue in the face what happened in this thing, but... Truly, you won't get the most out of it until you watch it. But anyways. Yeah, she's like, so what about it is so exciting to you? And Scott's like, quote, he's got a cute little hard body. You know, one you just want to pick up and put in your curio cabinet. You know, dust him off once in a while. To which I say, welcome to the curio. You got mine. What you looking for? (laughs) I'm Sorry, I really don't want to be light of this, but at the same time, I've never heard the word curio except for in Webkins. Yeah, and it's the best thing. Then Jenny Jones is like, you want to physically pick him up? And Scott says, oh, well, he's just a tiny little cute thing. He's gorgeous. And Jenny Jones says, okay, let's see if he really is. Let's get the headphones off of John and have John come out here and see who has a crush on him. Oh my god. And, like, just so you know, you guys, I am quoting these directly. So, like, I'm not making anything up of what they said. I couldn't if I tried. It's just, I mean, you can't make this shit up. So, John makes this, like, very weird entrance. He comes into the couch on the stage, and it's, you know, Donna and Scott on the couch. He kisses Donna on the cheek and hugs her, like, full embraces. And then he goes to shake Scott's hand, but Scott kind of, like, pulls him in, and then they, like, kind of do this awkward side hug. But it's, like, very visually obvious that John is not helping out the hug. Yeah, like, he's just more standing there as stiff as a board kind of thing. And he literally, like, he's maintaining the handshake until even after the hug is over, I think just, like, to assert masculinity or something. I don't know. And then he just sits down, and it's like he can't be seen hugging a man on TV. It's very 90s. Okay. Weird. <laughs> you know. 
Yeah. And, like, a lot of this is going to be, you know, unfortunately, society taught men to be this fragile with their masculinity. Yeah. And that's, like, very, very clear here. Then Jenny Jones says, did you think Donna has a crush on you? And then John's like, did I? No, we're good friends. Okay, John, so you say, no, you didn't think Donna had a crush on you. Cool. Moving on. Then Jenny Jones says, well, it isn't. It's Scott that has a crush on you. And John, he goes, you lied to me. And he says this with his teeth clenched. And you can see the discomfort in him, but he's, like, trying to smile through it. It's very uncomfortable. And then he starts, like, clapping and uncontrollably laughing. Then Jenny Jones plays a clip of Scott saying stuff about John. And the, the quote is, yeah, I've got a pretty big hammock in my yard, and yeah, I've thought of just tying him up on my hammock. Um, well, it entails, like, whipped cream and champagne, stuff like that. So just, like, It's just, weird. you know, they're, yeah, they, of course it's weird. Like, do I think that Scott is a freak? No. I think he was on TV, and he was just saying they, things for TV, you know? He's yeah. trying to make it a fun episode that he's finally on TV for. Like, you know, I think people are playing it up, and they're acting a little bit more than they would. Like, but that's TV, right? Yeah. Like, and that's the Jenny Jones show. It's craziness. Yeah. Then Jenny Jones says, did you have any idea that he liked you this much to John? And John's like, no, no, no. And Jenny Jones was like, can you tell us what your status is? Are you involved with anybody? And John answers, no, but I'm definitely heterosexual, I guess you could say. And the crowd goes wild. It's very bizarre. I think maybe they took that and ran with it and took the last part of, I guess you could say, and they're like, there's hope! Right. And the crowd goes wild. I don't even know if it's like, oh, like... The crowd is clapping because it's funny that Scott was turned down, or if the crowd is clapping because they're like, there's a chance. I don't know. But the crowd goes wild, and it's a very weird thing to be watching in 2022 because, like, it, it's so different. Well, because no one's going to act that would way. never be okay at yeah. this point in life. Oh, okay, God, not today. No. Like, <laughs> I, I, I was watching it, and I was literally like, oh, my, how did they get away with this shit? Yeah. I, it's so cringy and just not okay. You know, I have in my notes here, what the hell did John think he was getting into? (laughs) I just don't even know what to think about it because I'm like, he willingly took a plane to the Jenny Jones show. And thought it would just be like another day in the park. Right. Like, I'm sorry, but if you're going to go on TV for anything with your fragile little masculinity, maybe it shouldn't be this show that puts everybody on blast. Also alongside your gay friend that you admit you know was gay. Yeah. And you didn't think Donna had a crush on you. I don't get it. Two and two do not equal four here. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. I guess he claims that he did not know who was going to be revealed as his secret admirer. Um, He stated that he participated in the show due to curiosity, and then he claims later that the producers did imply that his admirer was a woman, but like I said, the producers of the show claim that they did tell him it could be male or female. So, like, whatever they implied, it's like someone on The Bachelor being like, "Uh uh-oh, I was hoodwinked into saying something mean on television, and it's like, of course, the producers! Yeah! They're literally, like, psychologists. They could just make, they could meld your brain into thinking a thing if they want you to. It's crazy, but that's the biz. Yeah, I mean, the show, literally, the show is in the business of 
of this, making like, mockeries of people. Yeah. Then Jenny Jones asks Scott if he's disappointed, and Scott's like, hmm, actually, no, not at all. Now he'll be more comfortable around me. And I'm like, wait, what did I miss? Because this was the most uncomfortable shit I've ever seen. I don't know where the comfort's gonna start. I mean, oh. it's so, it's such, um... I don't know, like a testament onto how this show has the ability to like mess with people's minds. Because yeah. I don't think that Scott read this situation thinking like he's in, you know? Yeah. But I, I don't think that Scott read the situation as like I mean and if you watch it, like John is like laughing and clapping along. Maybe he yeah. truly just didn't really see that he was so like thrown by all of this i don't know honestly but i mean in the midst of like everyone clapping being interviewed you're on tv like i would totally see where he's coming from where i would misread everything the normal person it takes a little bit for you to look at somebody and tell what their body language is telling you and like what their eyes are saying what their mouth is whatever but if you're in the studio with the lights and the cameras and all the people and the the laughter and the, the the clapping I think, yeah, it could be really easy to, like, miss um, social signs and stuff like that. So, you know, afterwards, though, Donna, John, and Scott, they do hang out together. They take the same flight. They hang out together. So I just think that's worth noting. Three days after the show, Scott left a note on John's doorway along with this, like, big flashing construction light i don't uh-uh. <laughs> listen not making fun of the situation at all but where the hell did he get that thing okay i i saw that in several different sources so i know it's true i don't know where he got a construction um, light but anyways the note like essentially said like you have the tool to turn this off so i don't know if it was just scott trying to like make light of the fact that they were on the show together that it's out and yeah. and you know maybe he maybe scott himself is like a little embarrassed and trying to deal with the fact that he was turned down on TV, you know what I mean? So I don't know exactly what made him want to do this, but I can imagine that it's not, like, he's not assuming that John's mind would be changed either. He was just kind of, like, messing around. They're friends, too, so I think that he... I mean, they're friends. They hung out together afterward. I'm not thinking. He's like, oh, this could go zero to 100 real quick. He's like, oh, this was so funny, or, like, Yeah, he's probably just making light of the situation. After this, Jonathan goes to the bank, buys ammunition, and buys a gun. He drives to Scott's mobile home, knocks on the door, and has a full conversation with Scott. He then tells Scott that he needs to shut his car off, but instead, he goes and he gets his gun from the car. When he got back and Scott saw the gun, he took a wicker chair and he put it in front of him to try to protect him and there was a man with him in the house that was a witness to all of this and then john shot scott john then drives to a gas station pulls over and calls the police on himself just the most like wild shit Right. I'm not even kidding. And if this story, like, I've heard of it briefly before. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it ends. But if the story doesn't end with him in jail, I'm going to be livid. Why? Right. There's a witness. It was clearly planned. I mean, I... So that is the thing that everybody gets Ugh. hung up on. Is it planned or not planned? To me, he had three days since being, quote, embarrassed on TV mm-hmm. to think about it, to plan it. And then three days later, he goes to the bank, buys ammunition and a gun. He didn't have the gun already, and he just so happened to use it. He went out of his way to go buy it. Yeah. 
And and then the way that he, like, knocks on the door and has a discussion with Scott and then tells Scott, like, no, I'm going to go get the gun from the car. Okay, so you didn't have the gun on you. You didn't use it in an angry, hasty way. Mm-hmm. You could have gotten in the car and driven away if you were that angry. It's not, like, a crime of passion in the moment no. to me. Now we'll kind of get into the trial because this trial was a shitstorm. And if you don't know, I, I think that this is something that a lot of people do know, but, it, you know, obviously we went to school for criminal justice, so there are just some things that I feel like are common knowledge, <laughs> yeah. and then people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, we almost named our podcast Women's Raya because <laughs> we were like, it's going to be so cute! And everyone was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, it's a play on Men's Raya! And they were like, what's Men's Raya? So I guess not everyone knows, you know? Yeah. Okay. That sounded really braggy, but that's not where I'm going with this. <laughs> anyway. There is a thing that used to be pretty common practice called the gay panic defense. Now, it's not, like, in law, but it does become kind of a tactic um, and in which, like, attorneys will kind of advocate for their clients in the sense of, like, oh, they committed that crime because they didn't know what to do with the information when they got information that someone was... Um, their sexual orientation is different than theirs or like if they're a trans person and so just like kind of negating any responsibility because they encountered somebody that's different than them it's very very barbaric in my opinion and Mm -hmm. I think in everyone's opinion in 2022 now if you matter but um so I just wanted to preface it with that because there's a lot of that in this trial um and it's James Burdick, who is the defense attorney for this case. He's Jonathan's attorney. He is really a scumbag, in my opinion. I don't know if that's something that everybody thinks about him, but I hate him. So here's a quote from him about Jonathan. And mind you, Jonathan's on trial for murder of an innocent man who is at his own home. Jonathan went out of his way to go to this man's home. Quote, Jonathan had a really nice, gentle soul. He was a really nice, sweet, decent guy who was manipulated, used, pushed around, tormented, and triggered into doing something terrible. That's just not true. Trigger? Nothing of the sort. I am so (laughs) sorry that poor Jonathan did not get all of the accreditation that he wanted off the jenny jones show minutes on a trash talk tv show i mean what in god's name and and he's a sweet nice gentle soul you are talking about the murderer that you are defending right now how dare you you can say like oh he didn't um premeditate anything like but you can't be like he's sweet and gentle you guys see it in him i mean it's like the tactic they use all the time and like cases like these where they try to like baby up or sweeten like who they're trying to defend obviously it's their job or whatever but like you know what you're doing and you know exactly what's behind it and it's just um what's it called um homophobic oh yeah homophobic idiot that that i want to say all the time about this man yep mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so i mean at its core this is just homophobia at its like finest it's it's and i don't even want to say finest i want to say most outrageous because james burdick really goes in to make his client look like he is the sweetest most gentle man 
But here's the thing. We're not here to say, did he do it or not? We're here. First of all, there's a witness. Yeah. We know he did it. There, He called and, and turned himself in. Yeah, number two. That's not the question. So we're not talking about his character here. We're not saying, he's a gentle guy, he couldn't have done it. You're saying, he's a gentle guy, so don't put him in prison for killing. What is that? Okay, everyone's entitled to a good defense, but if you are the defense attorney and you know your client killed someone, why aren't you just, like, advocating for, like, yeah, he did it, but he didn't, like, plan it out, you know? Like, I just don't get it. Okay, him being gentle, cool. Maybe he was gentle when he was a little fucking kid, but he is not gentle now. He just killed a man with a valuable life. He's a grown-ass man. It's disgusting. Donna Pendergast, who is the prosecutor in this case, she says, like, quote, it was difficult even though I had never seen a clearer case of first-degree premeditated murder. I mean, this has to be written down in, like, a law book somewhere as an example of what first-degree premeditated murder is. But here's the thing. That is what the jury was really deliberating on and could not decide if if it was first-degree premeditated or if it were second-degree and it was, like, a crime of passion. And, oh, and then let's talk about this fucking ball of firing trash for one more second. His defense attorney literally says... About when he called the police on himself? Yeah. He goes, because that's the kind of guy he was. I did something wrong and now I have to pay for it. I'm like, am I missing something? <laughs> Are we talking? I'm sorry, turning yourself in after you murder someone in cold blood does not for one millisecond make you a stand-up guy. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. No. It doesn't. And I don't know how in the hell that is the hill that that guy wants to die on. Yeah. He's a stand-up guy? <laughs> oh my god. I mean... I need a moment. I'm getting really... We would like to take a quick pause. I I can't believe that's the hill he wants to die on. I mean, it just speaks volumes, because, like, I I don't know the ending, but it's like, you know he's banking on that being enough to sway the jurors, and clearly it was, because he just said they that's what they were going back and forth well, on. Well, let's keep going. So anyway, in the midst of all this, I think it's important to talk about someone who has an opinion that matters. Right. Okay. Amy Willen. Love her already. That's a cute name. Yeah, right? She's my best friend. <laughs> we have At this point, you're like, anything goes. Yeah. I, if it's not that guy, I love this. Don't I want to hear this take. <laughs> so, no, Amy Willen is an attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Um... So she's doing God's she work <laughs> because, you know, she's advocating for people who really need it. Yeah. Um, she said this quote, in everyday life, a lot of people will be embarrassed, but the law is intended to protect people from criminal acts, not to give people a pass for murdering someone because they have a characteristic that you don't like about them. Amy Whelan, can you say it louder for the people in, in the, the back? back. <laughs> I mean... If that is not completely wrapped in a pretty beautiful bow and sent to the Center for Legal... St- no, I don't know. Center where, for where, Legal... Wherever, wherever they decide... Send it to the CDC. The CDC says, you can no longer be a scumbag. And, and that's it. Um, no, but so... I, but I mean, so she spoke at the trial? So no, or she just, was just featured speak- in the Netflix special... Um, and I don't know if she actually was able to speak at the trial or not, but, you know, she's at least now advocating for the fact that this was absolutely heinous. And, you know, like she's saying, like, the law is not made to, like, give people a pass for murdering. The law is made to protect the people that are murdered. So, uh, the gay panic defense, guess what? 
out the window. That does yeah. not fly with me. That does not protect anyone except for a murderer. Why are we protecting murderers? No, absolutely not. Then, John's, quote, abusive father testifies. And, you know, I'm not going to speak to whether John's father abused him or not. I don't know. I did not look into his situation. And I guess this was to make the jury feel bad for him. But I really, I, I maybe this is just me being really harsh, but I don't see what having an abusive father has to do with all of this. Maybe that's just me. But my thought is, like, I don't know why that would be necessary information here. Like, tell it to your friends in prison and maybe, yeah. like, see if they feel bad for you. But, like, here, it's just, like, it's not going to get you off easier for murdering an innocent human being. They also, like, say he has Graves' disease and manic depression. It, they, like, all of this comes up with the trial. And just, again, I don't know why it should affect his punishment. You have manic depression, so you just get to kill innocent people. No. Okay, no. no that that's not work. how depression Even works. Even with people who have killed, who do have those diseases, right? Um, you still killed someone. Right. So you're still I'm sorry, going but to you're serve still some sort of... entitled to serve your punishment. Exactly. And we can get you the mental health that you need. Of course, I am an advocate for that. I think that our prison system is messed up because it doesn't prioritize mental health. Yeah. However, I do not think for one second that this is something that matters at his trial. It mm -hmm. matters for, like, him to advocate for help after the trial. Or even, like, depending on his placement. Like, send him to a prison where they maybe have a better program for this. But I just... <laughs> it's clearly first-degree murder. So, and then Amy Whelan comes back with another quote that I think Love is her. great. That's the bestie. That's my best friend. She don't know nobody. Keep going. She said, um, quote, imagine if every time a woman is hit on in a bar, she can just fly into a rage and kill that person. Sherry, how many times have you been hit God. on in a bar? Not a lot. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, lie. What's okay, wrong with you? I'm sorry. I get hit on every I day. I a hot piece of ass, actually. <laughs> Let me correct You know, that. I don't need a bar to get hit on. Yeah. CVS, and I am just. just no. I'm the pharmaceutical. Okay, so I don't know from experience, but I have friends who are hit on. <laughs> but oh really, God, though, like. Cut that out. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> okay. No, but really, I have friends who have. <laughs> okay, also, in my defense, I turned 21 when it was COVID, so it's all I could get hit on at So bars. true, my grime. So sorry. I put Thank you on you. blast like that. Like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> So anyway, um, based on, um, we know some people that get hit on in bars, they don't kill people. Yeah. I've seen my friends get hit on in bars and they don't kill people. It's just how my life works. Yeah. Matt hits on me every day, you know? Yeah. And I don't kill him. He's still kicking. He's still kicking. <laughs> and I tell you what, it is annoying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but it's it really is just, like, such a bizarre excuse, in my opinion. Like, oh, like, I was embarrassed because someone liked me. No. Mm, okay. That doesn't work. Then his defense attorney says, quote, if he knew the word fragile, he would have told him, quote, I'm very fragile. This is what the defense attorney said that John would do to, would say to Scott instead of killing him. If he, he knew the word fragile. I'm sorry, how old is John? Also, John's in his 30s, just so you know. He knows the word fragile. Yeah. He knows it. He knows it. And also on top of that, I don't think John went to the door of Scott with, 
with a gun in his car to have this little sweet, cute conversation. Like, hey, John. Um, hey, Scott. I, I'm, I'm fragile. No. So, I, I just, next time on the Jenny Jones show when we're there again, please, please don't do that. Like... That's not why he was there. He brought a gun. He wasn't just going to, like, mull it over and, like, no. That's not how it was going to go. His masculinity is fragile. He isn't. He's a piece of shit. He brought a gun. Ooh. <laughs> okay. So let's just reiterate what happened No, here you're making I all sorts of to... valid points. Because <laughs> there's nothing fragile about John and what he did. There's nothing fragile about how he went to the gun store, bought ammunition, got a license, whatever the gun so store. have you. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know how to do it. <laughs> the general, like, <laughs> local store. Walmart, depending on where you are. Yeah, I don't, I don't oh my god, right? <laughs> Weird. But, like, he wasn't fragile when he was doing all that shit. Right. Now he's in court, he's pretending to be this, like, fragile guy who just didn't know how to handle. Yeah. So anyway, let's reiterate what happened here. Three days after Scott and John flew home together to Detroit from Chicago following the episode's taping, John showed up at Scott's mobile home to inquire about whether the note on his driveway or doorstep or whatever was from Scott. And Scott admitted it was, and John went to his car after having this conversation and returned to the door with his newly purchased shotgun. John shot Scott twice in the chest and killed him. He immediately after, knowing what he did was very fucked up, called 911 to turn himself in. During the call, John is asked why he shot Scott, and he replies, because he played a very fucking bad thing on me. He took me on Jenny Jones. He didn't take you. You willingly went. You're a grown-ass man. You You bought a plane ticket. You sat with him. You <laughs> literally went together, yes, but he and did then, not take you. And there's just no reason or excuse to just be like, oh, he was so overcome with shock and they just kept piling on because I can imagine some people will play that up right. real big. But it's just no. No. You don't go to zero to hundred like that. Nothing there in is... this case that can negate the fact that he killed an innocent man in cold blood days after the so-called trauma happened. Yeah. I'm sorry, but he had plenty of minutes to decide that wasn't the right thing to do. And guess what? He used every single one of those minutes to plan Scott's murder, and now he deserves to pay for it. Agreed. Jonathan Schmitz was convicted, unfortunately, of second-degree murder and sentenced still to 25 to 50 years in prison in 1996. Now... That verdict was overturned due to, like, jury selection errors, but Jonathan was retried in 1999, and his second trial resulted in the same sentence. Good. So, um, the Netflix episode that I was talking about, it does, like, focus highly on this trial because this trial was so highly publicized. And also, the Scott's family actually sued the Jenny Jones show for its, like, ambush tactics and their negligence that led to Scott's death. The trial aired in its entirety on Court TV at the time and created a national media frenzy. Like, it was just everything. Everybody knew everything. It ultimately did find the producers of the Jenny Jones show negligent and awarded $29 million to the, to the Amador family. However, this ruling was reversed on appeal because the court found that Scott's murder was completely unpredictable. Now, they did say, despite the show's cruel sensationalism and surprise tactics, 
it, quote, had no duty to anticipate and prevent the act of murder. The Amador family was actually never given any compensation for Scott's death. That is a tough thing to say. I know. I was going to say that's a whole it's debate in and of itself. It's very difficult to say what is what there, but, you know, ultimately, the Jenny Jones show, trash as it is, I hope she had horrible ratings after that because, first of all, whether or not there was a murder, it was just in poor taste. Pitting a gay man against a straight man like that is not okay. And I think that probably Jenny Jones was after trying to embarrass Scott. I don't think she was trying to embarrass John yeah. in the first place. And so I think that in itself makes her shitty. Jenny Jones is the scum of the earth, in my opinion. But I don't think that anyone who worked on that set thought that Jonathan was going to go so rogue. Yeah. How could they have known that they were dealing with such a fucking loser? They wouldn't have to begin with. And like You're they right. said, it's literally in the clauses yeah. that it would be a male or a female. Jonathan knew what he was getting into and he chose to decide that he didn't... I, I, like, I don't even think he thinks that he was bamboozled. Yeah. I think he's just mad that he was. The Jenny Jones show remained on the air until 2003, and she remained steadfast in the show's innocence in the death of Scott Amador. She blamed the media for sensationalizing the story, to which I say, Jenny Jones, um, you are the media. Yeah. Um, and she also declined to participate in Netflix's trial by media. Jonathan Schmitz got out of jail in 2017 at the age of 47 after serving 22 years. At the time... Scott Amador's older brother, Frank Amador Jr., who is featured a lot in the Trial by Media episode, he told the Detroit Free Press that he was really troubled by the parole decision. Quote, I wanted assurance that the decision was not based on good behavior in prison. I'd like to know that he learned something, that he's a changed man, is no longer homophobic, and has gotten psychological care. Jonathan Schmitz declined to talk to Netflix for the episode. One more thing that I think is just worth noting. Um, during the second trial, um, Schmitz's attorney, Jerome Sabata, this time saw a lesser verdict of manslaughter, arguing that Scott Amador continued to pursue Jonathan Schmitz ardently after the taping of the show to the point that Schmitz lost all reason and that's why like the show never aired and all that stuff and da 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 to which prosecutor Donna, Pen Donna Pendergast said quote the only reason that murder is an issue is that Scott Amador was gay and Schmitz's manhood so to speak was insulted on national television well you know what get over it and I cannot put more emphasis just let on that, just let that marinate. get over it. I am so sorry that you were a little bit embarrassed on TV. Go home, cry about it, and get over it. Oh, my God. And one of the smart jurors, one of them, because, like, you know, yeah. they didn't all say first degree, so I don't know if they were all smart. But one of them said, quote, if he was gay and a woman had approached him that way, would it have been right for him to kill her because she put a note and a flashing light at his door? I mean, come on. If like, you turn this into any different reversed roles... Yeah, play it however you people want. People would be like, what? Why would he do that? So why 
don't people feel that way in this case? I think it just speaks to how much people who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community aren't viewed as equal. I mean, that's just what it boils down to even back then. And I mean, I don't know if they had time to appeal his sentence. I don't think. Well, I mean, they did appeal it. I'm pretty sure nothing really came of it. And I think, honestly, at this point, the family is probably exhausted. And, you know, thank goodness for Netflix um, bringing attention to this and giving Frank Amador Jr., like, the platform to speak on it and to speak on how he is so enraged by what they did. Um, He said, like, quote, the methods of the show were outrageous and immoral, but I think that Jonathan Schmidt still committed murder one and he should pay for that crime. Agreed. Totally to a T- what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. The Jenny Jones shit show is shit. <laughs> the Jenny Jones shit is shit. <laughs> Say that. Podcast. It's shit. Yeah. But Jonathan Schmidt chose to murder. And that's that. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the chalk lane pod. Twitter at the chalk lane pod. And follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.